Lead Time is a podcast of the Unite Leadership Collective, hosted by Tim Allman and Jack Kalliberg. Lead Time taps into biblical wisdom for practical solutions to today's burning issues. Each podcast confronts real-time struggles facing the local church in a post-Christian culture. Step into the action with the ULC at uniteleadership.org. This is Lead Time. Welcome to Lead Time. Tim Allman here. This is a bonus episode. I have my good friend, uh, one-time student pastor here at Christ Greenfield, Joe Barron, on with us today. If you are unaware, Joe and the Bethlehem Lutheran team in Santa Clarita, California, have helped us produce a couple videos trying to put before the wider church, especially the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, uh, the need to explore new ways to raise up leaders, pastors, uh, teachers, and he's done a masterful job of looking back at our story as ELCMS to kind of say, hey, there are numerous ways that we have done it, and maybe we should explore some new ways moving forward as institutions exist to serve local churches, not the other not the other way around. So Joe had an existential crisis <laughs> that he texted me just kind of in a, in a panicked way a little bit, but it, Joe's just, you're very intense on this topic about discipleship, about yeah. leadership development. Element. And uh, you found an article based on some projections about the future of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the ELCA. And you asked me, do we have any studies like this uh, that are kind of this dire found in the LCMS? And I told you, I have not seen them if they exist. So tell us a little bit about that, that study. What startled you? What led to that existential crisis there, Joe? Yeah, so um, so for those of you who don't know, ELCA, uh, sister church body of the LCMS, we have plenty of theological differences, but uh, they're about 1.7, two times the size of us. I'm not sure what all went into the methodologies for the study. I'm not sure, like I can't deep dive the data behind it, but this is out of uh, Luther Seminary. So it's the seminary putting it out, and I'm willing to, to argue if it's through the seminary, it's probably, you know, decently honest. And so they have two graphs in it. One of it uh, is looking at baptized membership and the trend there. Starting in 2017, they have uh, about 3.4 million people. And then they project it on the average rate of decline going forward all the way to 2050, where it's at 66,000, which is just really spooky. And um, equally, they have another graph where it's average weekly worship attendance starting in 2017. It's about 899,000. Um, projecting forward into 2041, where it has 15,811. And the reason why this is like really heavy on my heart is I have a young man in my church uh, who is thinking about contemplating entering ministry, right? And he's uh, about 25, 26, great guy. And so we're talking about kind of pass forward and, and what should he do, right? Because he also, he has a wife, he's looking to have a family, and I wrestle with this a little bit because he still would have to take about two, three years and finish up a bachelor's degree, right? So uh, on top of that, then he'd go to St. Louis, Fort Wayne, one of the seminaries, right? Fly out there for another four years. And so you'd be sitting at like seven years um, that it would take him to enter into to ministry on top of that, uh, not just a time commitment, but also financial commitment for him to actually finish up the bachelor's and uh, insurance and stuff during the seminary as well. Um, now, if you're looking at these projections that the ELCA put out after that seven-year span of time, mm. um, you would really only have like 
nine or 10 years that you would be in ministry before the rate of like weekly worship attendance within churches is so small that there would be a lot of questions in my mind for like, how is he going to take care of his family? Will churches actually be able to, to call him full time? And I'm like, man, I think it's, it's wise for him just in our conversations to say, let's try and figure out a way for you to be bivocational. Let's get you a craft that you can be solid in, that we know there will be opportunities for regardless of, of where you go, even before you kind of start down any sort of path for ministry that way. Um, and even for myself, right? Like I'm a guy and it's like early thirties. And so I'm like, okay, like if we are about 20 years away from this projection for the ELCA, who, like I said, is about two times, 1.72 times the size of us to be at just under 16,000 in weekly worship. Like, what does that mean for our churches and the LCMS? What does that mean for me as a pastor and for my family that way? And I don't like initially this was kind of a big state of fear. Now, God's in control. God's going to do whatever he wants to do. But at the very least, I think we should be having a more of a conversation around this because this should open us up to kind of exploring what does it look like to better equip our men if we know that there's going to be bivocational needs for them to enter into that? What does it look like to have conversations with our churches saying, hey, I know that this is what you're used to as a pastor, a guy who's around all the time, who's uh, you know going to be at all the different things, but even just the way the church is equipped might need to look radically different. Yeah. I don't think many leaders and pastors recognize how strange it is, Joe, that you would go through this system and it, it's um, it, it guarantees you then once you get out of that, you'll find you'll find a job. Uh, mm-hmm. And we actually place you. Uh, the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod is one of the few seminaries. You've got a lot of Baptist seminaries from Dallas to Denver, you know, and and a number of other evangelical seminaries. There is no guarantee after you get this respective degree that you're going to be placed in in a church. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's necessarily bad. I'm grateful to the church, especially for that first call has kind of held our hands as, as leaders and kind of walked us into interviews with churches. But um, there are way more churches right now that are calling than there are pastors mm-hmm. to meet that. So I'm not saying that shouldn't be something that our seminaries start to offer by any stretch, but it's just a strange, it's just a strange thing. Jesus didn't. So let's just go to the Bible. Let's go to Jesus. Jesus yeah. didn't call the disciples and say, hey, uh, come, come follow after me. And, uh, I'm going to guarantee you a group of people who are going to pay your salary with good benefits and a solid pension plan to then allow you to retire into the next season of life as an upward draft of, of leaders come behind you receiving the same benefits. He actually called them to a life of, of sacrifice and service and even death by persecution, um, it wasn't. It wasn't connected to the way of this world. And our methods for raising up leaders looks way more like uh, the Western educational model than it does uh, the the way of Jesus. Or let's just go to modern day, or yeah. the way of the church in the global South today. What the global South says, Makaniyesu and other other large movement, large Lutheran conservative mission minded movements, go start a church. Go do something new. Go gather a group of people, and then we're going to start to give you the solid, you know, theological, the brain. Go prove that you have the ability to teach and lead and love and care for people, and then we're going to continue. So we have this faulty model, right, that 
Once mm-hmm. you, your brain it gets full, it gets full, and then boop, you, you pop out the the oven, pop out of the toaster with this fully formed pastor. And I know our seminaries work really hard against this. You are not done learning. Mm-hmm. You you have a lifetime of learning. But anytime a human being kind of says, "Okay, I I get all of this knowledge, I take all of these credits, and then I get something, I get this reward, I get a, I get a kind of church," that immediately kind of de-elevates then the necessity of ongoing education. Uh, thoughts thoughts on yeah, that, Joe? Yeah, I, I think you pointed out two really important questions that culturally we need to be wrestling with. One is, why are we comfortable with certain models for raising up pastors, raising up leaders within churches across uh, the globe in missional settings that we are kind of too good for considering ourselves or we're just not comfortable from breaking with tradition from ourselves? I'm going to say this, not only comfortable, we'll go to another level. We celebrate it. Yeah. Yeah. We celebrate it. Exactly. And when it comes to our own kind of contextual setting, we're like, uh, no, like this is how it's been. We're going to continue with kind of the higher education Western model. That's can be really cumbersome, um, expectationally. And then, uh, the second that you re- that you did um, get it unpacking has to do with kind of a, a bigger question of uh, what is church, what are expectations of a pastor, and how do we kind of remold those a little bit? It's fascinating because even as I think back in my time in seminary, every every one of my professors realized that there's going to be a growing need for bivocational pastors. Every one of my professors realized that, like, okay, it seems like the church in, in America or the LCMS in America is kind of headed in this direction. Um, so the question just becomes, can we start to move? Can we experiment? Can we try some new things in order to better equip our church leaders moving forward? That's good. You've you've asked me and you've uh, been on a more, if, if you're listening to this and uh, uh, you've not noticed me, I, I'm not on Facebook like a lot, bro. Like I don't spend too much time there. Um and not that I'm against it or anything like that, but I think you you spend a little bit more time in conversation there, which is a which is a good thing. And you hear questions like, you know, what is the Unite Leadership Collective and and stuff like that. So simply put, I'm gonna get I'll get super granular. We're meeting with congregations one on one and in cohorts of congregations to build a leadership development culture. So we'll talk culture, systems, and structure for you, pastor and team, to develop an upward draft of leaders so that you recognize everything you need is within your house. So we've got the one-year accelerator that we invite churches into to put together your customized learning journey. And, and then we will come and, and do a number of different one-day kind of seminars with, with churches. And you can see all that at uniteleadership.org. But take it up a notch. What is Unite Leadership about? It's about honestly recognizing the ways of Jesus, the discipleship leadership models of Jesus, and then saying there's a gap in our church body right now between how he led, how the early church led, how multiple centuries of the church actually functioned as the body of Christ, and then where we are today. I'm a history guy, so I love looking back at those models, but then the Unite Leadership is here to say, let's provide some solutions. One of my biggest kind of uh, struggles with uh, leadership within the, the synod we're approaching 200 years in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And so you've got a lot of layers. It's a complex system. One of my biggest struggles uh, with leadership over the last uh, 15 years or so since I've been a pastor is we, we can identify some pat where we've been and where we are right now. Mm-hmm. But what I don't hear um, always is clarity around tests 
possible solutions, an open-handed posture to run respective tests and just observe what the Lord wants to do. And so we are a group connected to a group of churches. We just want to run some tests around leadership development, around um, a hybrid model between a Western and maybe a, a, a Eastern or more Southern discipleship life on life model. And, and then you can test you can test our future leaders, the vicars that we're running through uh, in partnership with the Luther House of Studies uh, and, and Kairos University. So um, we're just running some tests and, and uh, it's hard to run tests in a almost 200 year old church body who has a lot of governance bylaws. We can't do that. We make systematic changes every three to four years at, at synodical convention. It's, it's very hard for a, uh, a church body like ours to adapt, especially as it relates to to these models. So yeah, we're uh, we're an incubator, Joe. Mm-hmm. That's the best way to kind of understand who the Unite Leadership yeah, collective is. And if you're a pastor and you hear what Tim said, and there's a lot of that language that you're like, like, what does this mean? This sounds like, like businessy stuff. Or is this like, that sounds like almost like Ted talk language. It's like, no, this is Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Like it's honestly asking is, is you look at how you disciple within your church, um, are people fully utilizing the gifts that God has given them? Do Are they actually being equipped for ministry that way, because I think our tendency in this is LCMS is, is kind of wider Western American church is to have this equivocation that, oh, because I have the knowledge, I've taken the classes, I know these things, uh, I am a disciple maker. And that's like what what really shows that I'm a disciple that way when discipleship in scripture is, is so much more than just knowing. Hmm. Yeah. What is it? What's the more I mean, of discipleship? At the end of the day, it's following Jesus. <laughs> it's right? it's following in the footsteps of Jesus, pointing to Him, and recognizing the the callings that God has given you, vocation that way. Yeah, and what I love about uh, the the Kairos learning journey, which Kairos is not a denomination, um, it simply is a platform that any denomination, the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, hopefully in time could provide our wonderful formation um, into. So it three different C's are the balance of the learning for students in Kairos. One, it is content. There's lots of learning experiences. The head needs to be filled with wonderful, wonderful doctrines, theology, uh, uh, paradox, tension-filled teachings, right, from the scriptures, obviously, and from the Lutheran confession. So yes, it's content. Um, in addition to that, it's craft. You need to learn. Are you able, First Timothy, or do you have the gift of being able to teach, Joe? Mm, you know, yeah, right up front. Yeah. If someone cannot communicate yeah. well, if they cannot teach and pass on the faith, yeah, maybe maybe don't want to be an overseer pastor, right? So that's the, the craft, the doing. Can you sit with the broken and the hurting? Can you provide good counsel? And really here, Joe, we're talking a lot about your EQ, way mm-hmm. over your IQ, your yeah. EQ. So your people skills, your emotional quotient, your ability to empathize and love and come alongside other people in the highest of highs and lowest of lows. So you've got content and then you've got craft. But the biggest thing that we want to be um, aware of. This is really the foundation. Is it the character? Do you have the character of Christ? Is a fruit of the Spirit seen in your in your life? So that's how they're evaluated. The students have a com- combination evaluation with their mentor teams, character, content, and, and, and craft. And then out of that, the, the mentor team says, hey, we feel like Whoa, there's some character things. I'm sensing pride. Whenever you get challenged, I'm sensing some defensiveness. Let, let's work on that together. Or on the other hand, you don't even understand what law gospel is all about 
Have you ever heard a law gospel distinctive? What are the three functions of the law? I mean, so it's and everywhere in between yeah. all of that is that learning journey uh, in context and 20% the actual cost of, of uh, um, you know, our seminaries. So you can pray for conversations that I'm having right now. I love, let me, let me make this public too. I have no idea who's listening to this. I love the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I'm not against our history. I'm not against our future. I truly believe, Joe, that we have the goods connected to the Word of God, and uh, the Lutheran story needs to be shared now because it's all about grace. It's all about Jesus. It's all about faith. It's not about works, right? So I really believe that this is the day and age when the LCMS needs to, on some levels, just unite and agree to disagree over like, okay, I understand you guys do contemporary, you guys do whatever, but can we agree, especially among pastors, I swore to uphold the scripture and the confessions. And we, we agree on that. We've been through, many of us, the same kind of, of system. So I'm not anti, I'm not anti the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, nor our wonderful institutions. What I'm praying for is that our institutional leaders will say, you know what, the trajectory doesn't look great. <laughs> Could we, like our ELCA brothers and sisters say, it doesn't look great unless unless mission is first and unless a, a movement toward the lost is like the first and foremost thing for us. We're going to honestly address where we could be going mm-hmm. and we're going to pray to the Lord of the church, man. We're open-handed. We're humble right now. Whatever it takes for us to change that trajectory because we really believe the church is the hope of the world and not the, not the LCMS, the church, which will last mm-hmm. <laughs> into eternity. Uh, it's just... Will our wonderful church body and the doctrines that we have uh, lived by uh, be a major player in the future of the American church? Well, and in the so, global church, we know it's the case, right? Because it's also like there's amen. there's awesome Lutherans all over the the globe that way. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I you talked a little bit about Facebook earlier. I pray if you're going to have these conversations, if you can have them in person. There's all sorts of data and research out there that shows mm-hmm. that um, it's it's almost never that minds are changed digitally. Um, minds, hearts are, are changed, and uh, conversations are much better had in person. Um, yeah. So what? Let me ask this question: mm-hmm. um, What do you think the biggest fears are mm-hmm. amongst? Because I, I we've tried to set up. I've had conversations with different people, some of them recorded, a lot of them not. Um, and I've heard some of the fears, but I'd love to hear from your perspective. Uh, what are the biggest fears uh, against kind of exploring new ways to to develop leaders moving um, forward? I, <sighs> All right, this is, I'm trying to not sound, I'm trying to be intentional with how I say this answer, but I think yeah, the, sure. the major fears are, Will these new ways of raising up pastors come at the cost of the the experiences that we've had? So I, I've had conversations um, with pastors before who, you know, if our seminaries are at this sort of a point where they're having trouble kind of financially staving their future, and what are they going to do? Is this going to rob from some of our seminary candidates? Are churches going to see this as like a workaround system? Uh, so there's some fear and trepidation about the systems that we have and losing from there. And then the other is is kind of this fear of quality. How do we know that they're going to be just as good? How do we, this is the gold standard that we've had for, you know, almost 200 years now. So how do we guarantee that these guys are just as good? But uh, on the second one, it's like, you don't know until you try, right? You can, you can run the experiment. We've had practical seminaries in the past and 
Uh, one of the videos that I produced for the ULC kind of talked about times in the church's past where there's been such a need for pastors that CFW Walter said, uh, you know what, even though you guys have only had one year of seminary, you're going out in the field. Even though you guys have only had two years of seminary, you're going out into the field. And you know what, we're going to go to Germany, we're going to set up a pre-seminary sort of a program so people can be in that while they're out there. So when they immigrate over to the U.S., uh, then they can be way expedited through their seminary experience here. Yeah, it's it's in our uh, history. It's, it's, it's who we are. It is. It is. And um, I think one of the other fears, I agree uh, about institutional preservation. Um, that is that is one of them. And then making sure I think a better fear is the quality of the candidate, <laughs> that institutional preservation, like making sure our doctrine is is sound so that there is some academic, if you will, mm. rigor. Um, I think that's one of the the struggles as people look at Kairos. Are we making sure there's enough enough rigor? On the other hand, uh, there should be. And on the other hand, what should be, we be rigorous toward? What I just offered you is, I'd say, a balanced approach that the rigor on being able to lead and start something in a post-Christian secular culture is actually there. Like the skill set is actually there to cast vision, um, to unite, to bring people together, and to equip Ephesians four to equip the saints. Like this, this man is entering into this not to become a doer, but he's entering into it to become a developer, a releaser of of people, all for the sake of the lost. So that would be my biggest thing that would kind of counter what is what does rigor really mm-hmm. mean? And I think when we talk rigor, we mostly talk you know, getting good grades and and making sure we understand the biblical texts uh, in all of their fullness, you know, based on the yeah. languages. So, yeah, rigor is an interesting word to um, use in pastoral and, formation. And really Go quick, ahead. I know that there are some people out there that say, well, we have digital systems, right? We have this digital. We have uh, the specific ministry pastors program, and I love that program. I think it's great. Um, I think that I, I want to paint kind of a narrative picture of, of where we're at, where I'm at, and why this doesn't always make sense for churches. So, Uh, I'm in the LA area, kind of greater LA area. And like in my region, when it comes to LCMS churches, uh, there's two or three of them that do not have a pastor. Um, It is really hard to get guys called out here because cost of living is insanely high. A lot of churches really can't afford paying their pastor the full cost of living out here. And a lot of the churches that do have pastors out here, the only way that they really are able to cover them is they have schools or they have some kind of like property rental or something that they do that kind of supplements their church ministry that way, which could be an entire other podcast in and of itself. Um, But for a lot of those churches that say, man, we really need a pastor. We can't call a pastor like that. We have this retired man of faith in his sixties and his seventies that like, maybe he could be the guy. A lot of times that cost that may not seem like so much of twenty to forty thousand dollars, right, for the SMP program is a really big in, like inhibitor. Combined with the fact that the expectation is like you are going to seminary full time, you have a full time job, you're taking care of the church, and then if you have any family needs on top of that, like that is a lot of weight. The attrition and dropout rate for the SMP program is, I believe, higher than our, our physical seminary. Just I, I believe because we have so much pressure that we put on those guys that way. Yeah. So we do. Yeah. SMP. We don't have an online MDiv. Mm -hmm. For those of you who know with SMP, they don't, the guys are spending 40 to $50,000 and they're getting a certificate for ordination. They're not actually getting a degree. And 
And then they, in many circles, are considered as second rate. Why? Because they didn't have the entirety of the languages and they didn't have the same residential experience. And and then you've got the cross-cultural ministry program, which I've been blessed to teach in the last six or so years. And gosh, these guys are so high quality. They're amazing, amazing men doing excellent work in their uh, a variety of different cross-cultural contexts. It's it's wonderful. Um, the struggle there is the same uh, with being a financial, uh, for many of them, a financial uh, strain. And um, then they're not exactly viewed. That it, they don't get an MDiv. They get a very rigorous MA in theology. Um, but, but yeah, there are some restrictions, too, on even right now how many people can be in that program. Mm-hmm and uh, geographic restrictions as as well. So the CMC is also seen as kind of, uh, well, that's what the, the crazy, and, and I always think it's funny when we use words like liberal or conservative because we're all ridiculously conservative <laughs> theologically. But that's where some in the Midwest may say, um, well, that's what you know the PSD or the Pacific Southwest District and, and those guys do, but that's not the way we do it here. Um, so could we live? I mean, I think this is the future. Could we live as as uh, leaders within churches, pastors, with more of just an open-handed posture and with love and respect that if you offer, and this is just kind of the difference between scarcity and abundance mindset, if, if someone offers something that's different, that doesn't mean that you are against something that for us, we've been a part of residential seminary or against the leaders and the professors who are there. That's not it at all. Both things have to take place at the same time for us to be able to, from the local church level, run these experiments needed to, to reach yeah. those and who don't it, know Jesus. It, Go ahead. I, I love earlier that we, and I love the kind of global focus, especially because like of I think we can learn a lot from that. And it's like, okay, if, if you know, Makana Yesu, or there were some sister Lutheran branches uh, their brother Lutheran branches that that were sending missionaries to America. Uh, would we feel comfortable, right, with them raising up pastors how they want, even within our kind of contextual setting? And and we really should. If we're not, then we should wrestle with why not. Because I think a lot of it comes from a, a conflated kind of idea of uh, intellectualism, and you have to have a certain knowledge. Um, and then another part of it can can kind of just come from from this. Uh, kind of rightful love of tradition, but sometimes almost an idolatry of it at times as well. So, yeah, that's exactly right. Just to close here, the the LCMS story and CFW Walther, when Martin Stefan has his big falling out, gets kicked across the river back into Illinois. God bless you, everybody live in Illinois. That's a great state. Uh, but CFW Walther says, with the wrestling with the people, are we still church when our leader's gone? You know? And, and what they said, yeah, we are still the church. And even though we left persecution in Saxony, there and there was some some struggles they were having there, they, they came here and said, our story was not dependent upon our leader. Our story was dependent upon the leader. His name is Jesus. And his word, his sacraments are still here. And oh, by the way, we're going to go on mission for way more than just Germans from Saxony. We're going to go on mission for other Germans who actually had different dialects. I was talking to Mike Newman the other day, and they like that was crossing barriers. You had all these different kind of states with different dialects, even in Germany, kind of a split nation at the time. Um, and they 
they went on mission for all of those immigrants. They went on mission for Native Americans. They started churches every other day. Just let this wrestle with you right now. They started churches. This is us, not they. This is us. The LCMS started one church every two days for the first 50 years of our existence. From 18, about 1843, 1850 to the turn of the century, into the 20th century, we were starting one church every two days. So you leaders stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before you. I'm, I'm here at a church right now with people who are long since with Jesus, who gave resources to build these buildings. You know, this is not just about us. This is about those who have gone before and stewarding everything. The seven billion, I've heard this number thrown around, the seven billion dollars worth of assets in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, because of those who have gone before us. How well will we steward them? Will we hoard them? Or will we, you know, open-handedly, Jesus, whatever it takes, could we pray for, could our leaders at the highest level, could we pray for humility and an open-handed posture, Lord Jesus, this is not my church to protect. (laughs) You do a good enough job protecting it. It's my responsibility not to bury the treasure, but to multiply it. Because the master is soon, soon to return. Joe, you're you're a gift to the body of Christ. Uh, thank you for this conversation. We could get back on because we could go down a few other rabbit trails uh, into the future. But thank you for your your work and partnership with the United Absolutely. Leadership Collective. And uh, this was this was a lot me. of fun. Thanks for doing yeah. it spontaneously. Yeah, this is lead. This is lead time. Sharing is caring. Jack Kalberg will be out uh, with us next time as we continue through the church engagement model. And if we can care for you in any way, hit us up at uniteleadership.org. It's a good day. Go and make it a great day. The peace of the Lord go with you. Thanks, Joe. You've been listening to Lead Time, a podcast of the Unite Leadership Collective. The ULC consults and brings together cohorts of congregations to build the culture, systems, and structures of intentional discipleship multiplication. To go deeper with us, create a free login on uniteleadership.org for access to exclusive materials and resources. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for next week's episode.